Hi, welcome to Full Metal Pod. I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy. So Jimmy, how has your past week been? My past week, I would say Monday felt like a very long day, and then now I'm here on half the weekend. So everything is zooming by. I'm still trying to organize my life. So like, I've got a lot of collectible things that I'm trying to, you know, figure out. Do I keep this or do I get rid of it? Nice. So I'm kind of doing the um, what is Marie Kondo thing. Yeah, I feel you on that. It's like, but everything I grab, I'm like, I love you still, and you love me. <laughs> so it's like nothing <laughs> goes away. I'm like, I still love you, Ida. You bring me joy. Yeah, I know the feeling all too well. Uh, I, I actually, so as I mentioned in the earlier podcast episode, I moved recently and I actually took a few days off of work so that I can just focus on getting myself settled rather than like dragging it out over the course of a month because I'm trying to juggle work hours and and setting things up. So, uh, you know, I'm going through all my old stuff and I'm like, you know what? Have I do I really need this? Can I just donate it or, or sell it or toss it out or whatnot? Like, it, it it was you know some of the stuff you I look I'm like I don't even ever remember having this. Yeah, I can get rid of it. Oh, I'm the opposite. I'll find something that I thought like I I don't remember having it. I'm like, how did I live my life not having you in the center on the desk? And I'm like, now you belong here, item. Weird item I bought at a convention 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it, I guess that is one of the nice things about going through those things too, because you'll find things that you forgot you got. Like when we went to Comic Con, I think I bought three or four different comics, and I guess I put them in a box or something and just completely forgot about it. And now I found them again. And I'm like, oh man, I forgot. I, I got like the Infinity, the original Infinity War comic, and. Uh, like the Hawkeye comic and a few other things. And I'm like, now I need to catch up. I don't know if you remember, I think we talked about this, but at a local comic convention here in Texas, when you were living here, I got a Mohinder action figure, mint in box, everyone, mint in box. But every now and then I'll put it away. Well, I always put it away. I never really have a place to display it, but I'll put it away and then I'll run into it again. I'll be like, I can't get rid of this. This is just too good of an item. So I run into it all the time. Yeah, it's a collector's item. Can't get rid of it. Did you catch... Uh, I know the big thing this week was the Snyder Cut. Did you catch any of it? I still haven't watched it yet. I got, I'm waiting for the right four hours. I kind of want to watch it with uh, my family. Mm. Even though they're not too um, superhero movie kind of people, but... My dad does enjoy knowing what's going on in that that world. He's like, what's Superman up to these days? Gotcha. Yeah, I think, granted, I, I'm glad it was four hours. Like, I know that was long. I don't think I've ever seen a four-hour movie before. I guess it's nice that it's streaming because then you can just, like, pause it in a, a wall and come back to it. But I started, I think I watched an hour, hour and a half of it in the morning on Friday before work. And then after work, I finished it off. So I kind of broke it. Instead of doing it one, like, large, long run of it, I broke it up. And that made it a little more feasible, I guess you could say. Do you think you would have watched this in theaters? Like, say we were not in Corona time and the world was normal. Would you have gone to the theater to watch this movie? 
Yeah, I mean, it was definitely theater worthy. And I mean, granted, I'm not saying anything controversial or anything, but I absolutely think it was better than the theatrical cut. Like, no, not even close. I, I, that's what I'm hearing in the reviews, that it's hands down better. And I do feel like this would have been a great theater, mm-hmm. big screen experience. And I've never seen a movie longer than three hours in the theater. And I hear this one has an intermission. If you do watch it in the theater, it has an intermission. And that would have just been a new experience for me. I would have loved to have had that experience. Yeah. I mean, I saw the original in theaters, and I think this would have been a well-worth theater uh, watch. And I wonder, because I, I heard originally that they told Zack Snyder that they yeah, he couldn't do a four-hour movie. Like, when he first was about to do this, they, they were like, it can't be that long. It needs to be shorter. And, you know, all the stuff that happened. And then Josh Lee took over, and he made it mm-hmm. shorter. I hope. I wonder if this opens up Warner Brothers' eyes to be like, maybe we do longer movies. Maybe people are willing to see a really long. Yeah, I mean, movie. if it's a good one, I definitely would have seen it in theaters. Like it was a good movie. I've seen worse things in theaters. So if this were normal times and you know everything like that, I would have absolutely seen it in a theater. Uh, I I'm excited to see it uh, every year. When I used to go to San Diego Comic Con, and I would see Warner Brothers. Um, and DC comic present their movies. My hopes would be so like, I would be so excited. My hopes would be up and I'm I'm like, this is going to be the greatest thing. I was so excited for suicide squad and all these movies, wonder woman, 1984. I was really excited for, and not to say that they were really bad movies, but they, they didn't live up to the hype that was brought up, but I feel like the Snyder cut is going to live up to the hype. I hope. Mm-hmm. The Snyder Cut is absolutely what the original one should have been. Like, like as far as I'm concerned, uh, the theatrical cut isn't canon. It is just uh, a weird fever dream that we all had, and the Snyder Cut is the actual canon. I'm hoping that people love the Snyder... I, I'm reading everyone's loving it, but I'm hoping that so much momentum keeps going behind it that we get the heroes in that version. Instead of uh, what we're getting now, because uh, that would be nice. Yeah, I'm not really digging like the direction the DC movies are going. It's it just feels wonky to me. Everything that's going on in the DC universe or whatever yeah. that thing is called. Yeah, they're just doing whatever it seems like. I think they I think they've lost their way. Like I think after. After Batman v Superman and then Justice League, I think, and also Suicide Squad, I think it just became a jumbled mess, and they just haven't recovered from it. Though I'd be like, it, I feel like if DC was just saying, "Hey, we do what we want," and all these movies are their own movies and nothing's really connected, mm-hmm. then I'd be like, "Yeah, I can enjoy these things." But with the promise of a through line through everything, it just makes it hard to digest it all yeah i mean this is the big thing so like i know shazam was loosely in the dceu like they kind of passing made mentions to it but you can also argue that it's not but i guess it, it technically is but then you know joker came out and that is like completely standalone uh i don't know if black adam's going to be dcu or not um what other films this, well, i think 
So like that, the the Suicide Squad, the one that James Gunn made, is supposed to be like a soft reboot or something. So I don't know if that means it still takes place in the universe or what. But I'm excited for that movie. I had not seen a trailer. All I saw was that behind the scenes footage that they um, posted. Like what was that last year? Sometime last year. But it looks good. I won. I I'm in. And I guess this is DC luring me in again. They're like the little breadcrumbs. And I'm like, ooh, this is going to be good. And I'm eating their breadcrumbs. And then they trick me, throw me in a furnace, like Hansel and Gretel style. But I'm, I'm down, DC. The Suicide Squad, you got me. Just uh, I hope you deliver. Hmm. Yeah, I think it will. Well, James Gunn hasn't really made anything bad in the past. God, I have no idea how long, but I, I can't. Like, most every film I've seen of his, even, I think, Brightburn, which was all right, wasn't great. But they've, they've all been, like, deep, really good. So I I'm, I would be shocked if he did a terrible job with The Suicide Squad. Well, I just rewatched Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and I like it. And I think James Gunn does really well with the ensemble cast. Mm-hmm. He does. I mean... Guardians of the Galaxy was a like not just in terms of the MCU, but in terms of Marvel comics in general. That lineup was rarely, re- relatively new. It wasn't even ten years old when they announced that they were making a movie. I don't even know if it was even like five years old when they announced that they were making it a movie. And he wound up taking the super obscure team and making it a multi-million-dollar film. So. Oh yeah, and now they got their own ride in uh, Disneyland. So. Mm-hmm. Exactly, very true. Well, I think we have talked a lot about DC. We should probably talk about Full Metal Alchemist. <laughs> yeah, that sounds. Maybe good. one day DC will option off the the ability to make a DCU Full Metal Alchemist crossover. One can dream. Mm, maybe we give it tomorrow. Yeah, that'll probably be better. <laughs> So we are on episode 30. We are coming to the end. I think we might have like three or four more recordings and then we're done. But, you know, we'll 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 get through them and get through all this cool stuff. Two episodes, episode 56, The Return of the Fuhrer, and episode 57, Eternal Leave. Uh, it's kind of funny. You have an episode called Return and then one called Leave. Uh, but anyway, we have a flashback on episode 56 with Hohenheim walking through a vast desert. He appears to be talking to himself. He's saying, like, you know, he will listen to what you have to say, and we are in this together. It's like he's having a conversation with a person who isn't there. Uh, Hohenheim eventually passes out, but is found by some Xingyi's merchants who are traveling through the desert. Uh, You know, they stop, and they see him, and they think, oh, well, let's bury him at least. And then he he groans, so they realize he's alive, so they kind of, nurse him back to health and put him on one of the horses and take him back to wherever it was they were going. They ask Hohenheim why he's out there, and he's just like, he has nowhere to go. He has no home. He's trying to get as far away from Xerxes as possible. Uh, and then he, like, he apologizes to a man named Surgeons, and I guess we assume, you know, Surgeons, maybe that's one of the uh, guys who picked him up or something. I don't know. Uh, we come back to per to current time and Hohenheim is back with father and he's talking about the surgeons. He was a 
renowned master carpenter, then Hohenheim continues to name other citizens of Xerxes, such as, uh, you know, various women, children, men, slaves, artisans, criminals, etc. It turns out that all the souls in Hohenheim have maintained their individuality throughout the years, and when Father tried to drain Hohenheim of a stone, he pulled those souls into him, and those souls want revenge on Father. So now they're attacking him from the inside out. Father is confused as to how the souls have retained their individuality. Hohenheim reveals that since the day he became a philosopher's stone, he has made it a point to get to know each and every soul in him over the past 400 years. It's something like almost 540,000 souls. Uh, this allowed them to maintain their individual wills. Uh, the other philosopher's stones we see, such as the one that made Father, the homunculi, uh, the little stones that we see being carried around, uh, those you know, over time of just kind of swirling around in agony, those souls have forgot who they are, and now they're nothing more than energy, uh, echoes of a former life. But because of Hohenheim's ability or his desire to talk to the souls, they were able to maintain their individuality. Uh, so now these souls are inside a father. They're destroying his skin container or his leather bag, as Hohenheim calls it. Spikes rip out a father's body, and Hohenheim thinks, great, I won, because he figures, you know, the, the leather bag or the fake body that that father has is essentially his container, and if his container breaks, then he'll die. Uh, well, Hohenheim is a little shocked to realize that this was not the case. Father sheds his skin and eats that skin, and he reveals his true form. He's a humanoid, like a block, a black mass, but in a humanoid form. So he says, you know, hey, I've evolved. I don't actually need my container anymore. The Fuhrer is storming the front of the palace. He refuses to enter the back door of his own palace. Without really much effort, the Fuhrer takes on all the men guarding the front gate. He chases after the tank and is able to kill the soldiers inside and even cuts the tread of the tire, causing it to crash. He is clearly a force to be dealt with. Now the Fuhrer has made its way to the gate where the Briggs soldiers are, as well as Buccaneer. Buccaneer goes in for the attack, but is slashed by the Fuhrer. Buccaneer tries to attack again and gets his automill destroyed. Fuhrer approaches Fallman, which we remember is one of Mustang's men from the past. Uh, and he requests that he open the gate. Fallman doesn't want to do this, and he is also afraid of dying. He asks for forgiveness of the colonel as he accepts his fate. So he, you know, he's asking for forgiveness for dying. Buccaneer tells Fallman that he can't die a heroic death, crying like a coward. Buccaneer has wrapped his hand with the chain that his automail used and is ready to keep fighting. The Fuhrer mocks him for being stubborn, mocks humans for being stubborn and not just accepting their fate. Uh, all of a sudden, we hear Greed's voice, and he is agreeing with the Fuhrer uh, in terms of humans being stubborn, but he still chooses to side with the humans. We go back to the streets when the Fuhrer showed up. The central soldiers essentially got their confidence back and are trying to take the gate. In the radio station, they announce that the Fuhrer is alive. Mrs. Bradley is happy to hear that. They mention that he's in combat with Briggs soldiers. Breda makes the choice to pin the attack on Briggs. They want to protect Mustang's name, so they essentially blame the queue on General Armstrong. Fury is upset that they have to really throw Armstrong under the bus, but they feel they just really have no other choice. 
uh, he and Ross realize that Central soldiers have surrounded the station. They aren't sure what their future will be, but they figure they will likely be killed at this point. We jump back to Greed, and he showed up largely to get revenge on Wrath for taking his possessions or, you know, killing his friends. And, of course, Ling is present, too, because he wants to get revenge on the Fuhrer. So they're kind of, their minds are in sync on this, if you will. The way the Fuhrer survived was using his ultimate eye. So as the train is kind of falling off of the bridge, he looks out, and with his ultimate eye, he was able to determine a path and was able to jump across the debris to make it to the edge of the cliff before the train hit the water. And that is ultimately how he survived. Uh, so now the fight begins. Ling and uh, Ling Greed, Greeling, as people like to call him, is going straight against the Fuhrer. This helps the Briggs soldiers as now the Fuhrer is too busy fighting with Greed. Greed tries to hide in his blind spot, but the Fuhrer removes his eye patch and uses his ultimate eye. The soldiers attempt to help Greed by shooting at the Fuhrer, but the Fuhrer, Fuhrer dodges the bullets and attacks them, killing those soldiers. Buccaneer attempts to attack the Fuhrer, but is stabbed through the stomach. However, due to Buccaneer's abs, the Fuhrer was unable to remove the sword and wound up jumping back to avoid a, a second attack from Buccaneer. Fuhrer grabs two knives from a soldier's body and continues to fight Greed. At the bottom of the gate, we see that Central Soldiers have been taken out by have uh, taken out the Briggs soldiers. The Central Soldiers then make the move to the main gate. Greed is unable to help them because he's too busy fighting uh, Wrath, fighting the Fuhrer. Buccaneer is out of commission. He's passed out from his injuries. And so Fallman and the Briggs soldiers are all that's left to defend. So they take the guns and they fire suppression fire down the shaft to keep the Central soldiers out. Apparently the soldiers in Central Command can't help these soldiers because they're too busy dealing with mannequins. All of a sudden we notice smoke bombs go off. And the soldiers are under attack. It appears that Fu has returned to join the fight against the Fuhrer and defend Ling's body. Greed tells uh, Fu exactly who it is that they're fighting. And once he realizes it's the Fuhrer, he puts together that this is the person who took his granddaughter, Lan Fon's arm. And now he's in the mood to fight. And episode ends. Uh, so, well, a lot of interesting fight scenes. A lot of tension building. What did you like and not well yeah what did you like about this episode what i loved about this episode is old man foo and i mean we just got him at the very end of it but what gets me about which makes it so memorable and why i love it so much is how this anime or this show has made me fall in love with these side characters so much that I get so excited when they're missing for a while and then they come back in a great way. Like, we knew he was coming back, he he was in town, but just seeing these side characters come into action and you're like, man, these, they have stories and they're useful and I love the ending scene. Sorry to talk about the end in the beginning, but... When he has the sword and Greedling is saying, like, you know, this is wrath and this is, and he's, his sword is shaking. And at first I thought, oh, is he scared? But then he says, like, this is the one who killed my grand, or not killed, ripped my granddaughter's arm off. 
and you can see it's more of an anger shaking and it's this small character development that I love so much that we're getting. Yeah, I agree. We're starting to see, you know, how Fu has gone from being a side character to actually having a purpose in the show. Like he is now going to get revenge on his daughter. Like he's invested in this fight, whereas before he really wasn't. But it's nice to see that like, yeah, he actually has a reason to fight now. He's getting revenge on his daughter or, or for his, not daughter, his granddaughter. Um, so he gets to join the fight. Of course, greed shows up again. So, you know, it's we're slowly building up by having everybody we've met so far showing up to the battle. Like last week, we saw Azumi Curtis show up and, and Sieg. And then, of course, we have, uh, you know, Briggs people showing up and Buccaneer and you know, everybody's the, the, the different uh, homunculi uh, chimera. So, yeah, it's just we're starting to see the whole team come together and it's fun. It's because it real it makes us realize how big things are going to get. But then also just like the Fuhrer, he, aside from the Ultimate Eye, doesn't really have any superpowers, so to speak, like the other homunculi do. He's just really good at fighting. And like, that's an understatement. He, you know, was able to single-handedly ascend the, ascend the corridor to get to the, to get to the gate and take down a tank and stuff. So it was just, man, like, you're, you're like, how are these guys going to stand a chance against him? Is Bradley really strong, or is his sword strong, or is it a combination? But that sword sliced through that tank bullet like it was butter. I think it's probably a combination. So I think he is stronger than the average human, uh, but then he also makes a comment about how he's like aging and his body, you know, creaks or whatnot now. So who who knows? But yeah, I love. I, I mean, I think uh, I, I loved seeing that fight, and I think he does actually probably have a super strong sword. Uh, it was just what a great scene, and it's like he takes down people with. It's so effortless. It seems like. It, he's, it doesn't seem like he loses any momentum. He's always gaining uh, ground as he was pushing the tank mm-hmm. back. And what one, I mean, he's not just one person. He's wrath. But for him to be charging at it and that tank being like, we have no chance. We need to keep going backwards to try to stop him was, that was pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, usually you would think somebody in a tank has the advantage over somebody not in a tank, somebody who isn't even wearing armor, somebody who even doesn't have, like, a gun or explosive. He has a melee weapon, a sword. He has to get up and close to attack, and yet he is still seen as a threat to them. True, and then, like, then he goes up and he's fighting a buccaneer, and, man... It's just that he seems unstoppable. Mm-hmm. He absolutely does. And it makes you wonder, how is he going to survive all of this at all? Like, there's no way he's going to make it past this. And then we get, like, Greed shows up. But now I feel really comfortable calling him Greedling. Because it does seem like they found this great balance of working together Greed sees the the positives that Ling brings, and Ling sees the positives that 
greed brings to to their body, and it seems like they're coinciding very well. Yeah, with each other. it seems like I think a lot of it is because now they're on the same side, more or less. Like greed is no longer has no longer has any interest in serving father. Um, so I think that helps, and then I think also the fact that they are both wanting to kill the Fuhrer. So that helps them being in uh, in sync. So, yeah. So I I'm loving this, and I feel like this was Ling's plan all along. You know, to find a way for them to maybe he knew he couldn't overpower greed, but to find a way that they can coincide the same. Yeah, way. probably. It it is nice to see that, and I also like seeing the uh, Hohenheim stuff earlier because we finally got more insight into a little bit how the Philosopher's Stones work because they really haven't told us much up to this point as to what happens to the souls. I know, like, in the earlier episodes, Envy refers to the souls as not even remembering who they are anymore. Um, They're essentially just echoes of the past. Uh, They're nothing more than energy. And, you know, that kind of makes sense, I guess. But apparently, that's only if you just treat them as energy or treat them as non-human that they have that that will eventually be their fate but if you treat them as human and talk to them they maintain their individuality they remember who they are they remember their past they are uh, it seems like they're also aware of what's going on around them in the sense that the souls rate new to jump from hohenheim to father so it was really interesting to see that and I guess it even speaks more to Hohenheim's character that he did take the time to get to know five hundred some around five hundred forty thousand different people because he could have taken the father path or the homunculi path and just ignore the souls. True. And I guess this is more of the juxtaposition of like how father is this uh, always looking uh, for whatever the next evolution is of himself and he sees them as energy. And then Hohenheim is more grounded in humanity and he sees them as mm-hmm. people. And I love now we know why he says all the, he was, he was saying all those names in a, like a few episodes back. And now we're kind of feeling it more. Not only is he just remembering who they were, he actually knows them because he talks to them and they're a part of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you think, like, I almost wonder if that gives him an edge on his alchemy because now he has, like, willing participants joining him in the fight. But did he lose some of them when uh, Father absorbed them? Is Did he lose some of them? Yeah. Yeah, so basically, uh, basically Father pulled them in, and now they have because they maintain their individuality, once they are part of Father's Philosopher's Stone, they're able to, like, corrupt it or whatever. Uh, I think as Father... Not Father. Hohenheim referred to it as an infestation of him. So they they seem to have infected the stone, causing his body to, like, rupture. Uh, fortunately, it didn't work the way Hohenheim thought that it was. I guess Hohenheim figured that Father was still no different than the flask and if his body was destroyed he would die but apparently father has evolved to a point where he doesn't need the leather bag and he's able to still survive yeah i, I mean he almost is uh 
he looks like his original form, like the dwarf in the glass, just like an eyeball, but able to kind of take a shape and also be everywhere. Because we see that giant eye above Hohenheim in that scene. I believe it was above him. But I'm worried about those souls. Like, you know, Hohenheim worked so hard to kind of separate all this uh, all this jumbleness of souls inside the philosopher's zone. I hope that, I don't know if the souls are okay in them. I don't know. It, now, knowing more about the philosopher's zone in each episode, it makes me feel bad for the for the stones because you know we, we know their souls or their people and then we know they're kind of trapped in there but now we know that they mm-hmm. can be like separated and we can hear their thoughts there's a, it's just a lot going on yeah and now i'm kind of glad that hohenheim attacked and but now it looks like he, it's not over which is also kind of a good thing too because it would kind of suck if like ed and not everybody showed up to father and father was gone and Hohenheim's like, Oh, I handle it all. We're done. <laughs> you know, that at least that didn't happen, but still like there was a part of you that was hoping that father really got what was coming to him. Yeah. And just, uh, man, it's exciting. Cause we don't know really what's going on. Cause you know, all that father scene happens and we seem kind of leave his, his flesh body. And I guess is this, true form father you know how we were like we got to see like true form gluttony and true form envy is this a true form father or we got another step coming to us i would say this is true form largely because it looks exactly like what we think father should look like or what what he used to look like anyway so he's just i guess now he doesn't need an actual body yeah so yeah, and that that happens, and then kind of we pause on that because then we switch over to our other characters, um, you know, Bradley uh, coming in and his wife, happy that he's still alive, but you know, she I don't know how she's feeling. She's she's probably like a mix of emotions right now. Yeah. Um, well, and she also, like, as far as she knows, father is a normal human being. There's nothing to be concerned about. Nothing, you know, things like that. So, you know, she's relieved, whereas the people who know that he's actually a tyrant aren't. So it's kind of fun seeing that juxtaposition. The people who think, oh, no, the Fuhrer is the good guy. And, hey, he's not actually dead. This is great. Whereas, like, the people who know, oh, man, we were hoping he was dead. This is not good. Yeah, and it just... I'm I'm excited to see, like, where, where that's going with Father and stuff. But, you know, right in the moment, we're, we're with Wrath, and uh, Greedling is there, and Old Man Fu is there, and they're kind of... They're working side by side. So, uh, I don't know. Do you think the two of them could take down uh, Bradley? Mm-hmm. I uh, hope so. I guess we'll have to find out. Uh, ready for the next episode? Oh, yeah. Definitely. All right. Let's take a look here. Next episode, Eternal Leave, picks up right where the last episode left off. We see Lon Fawn running through the tunnels. I guess she's trying to either find a way out or figure out where it is she needs to go to find Ling. She overhears soldiers talking about how the Fuhrer has returned and he's taken the main gate. So Lon Fawn decides to make her way there. 
The uh, general we saw earlier, and not in this last episode, but the episode before, the one who was trying to shoot the mannequins and was saved by Zumi. At this point, he had spilt everything to the Armstrongs and the Curtises, as well as the Briggs and Central soldiers around him. Uh, you know, he reveals that the Fuhrer is nothing more than a puppet and that they were all trying to create a perfect world by sacrificing all the citizens. Uh, essentially, by in a very sick way, he believed, you know, he'd be uniting everybody because everybody would live in their bodies. Everybody's soul would live in their bodies. And, you know, it's for the greater good. And it's, you know, oh, it's the alchemic thing, you know, all is one and one is all. And Azumi smacks him and asks the central soldiers if they are still on the side of the army knowing this information the soldiers are conflicted you know most of them have been soldiers for life they've taken an oath to you know always follow their officers commands but obviously this is a <laughs> very complex situation for them armstrong marks mocks them olivier just tells them like hey if you follow somebody that you have no faith in that's not loyalty it's just mindless self-deception then the soldiers all effectively defect from the military, removing their badges and whatnot. And yeah, they are going to the side of the Amestrian nation or the people, the side of good, really. Armstrong calls the other Briggs soldiers and they mention the Fuhrer coming back and them having a hard time keeping the gate. So Armstrong tells them if things get to, get to be too tough for them to leave and leave her alone. So I guess she's just going to, you know, whatever happens to her happens to her. Uh, so, you know, they decide maybe we should descend the stairs and escape. Ed and team are starting to sense the presence of father and realize that they are getting closer. They enter a room and they see the doctor with the gold tooth. If you don't remember, that's the same one who injected the Philosopher's Stone into the into the Bradley and turning him into the Fuhrer or turning him into Wrath. And in fact, he introduces himself as the man who created the Fuhrer. He is also happy to meet Mustang. A bunch of soldiers appear out of nowhere. Well, not really soldiers. They are armed men, uh, but they aren't like soldiers from Briggs or Central. Uh, these were actually all the other men who could have become Fuhrer. So we see earlier that they had taken a bunch of orphans and trained them in fighting and politics and stuff. And whoever was able to take the stone became the Fuhrer. So while Bradley is the actual Fuhrer because he is now Wrath, he's a homunculus, these men continued to live with, uh, I guess, to be trained as assets for the secret plan of Father. And while they are not nearly as strong as the Fuhrer, they are still pretty good fighters, especially with the sword. And they are giving Riza, Mustang, Scar, and Ed a run for their money. And really, they're just, like, they're trying to stall, really, because uh, we see the Doctor is drawing some kind of transmutation circle, and he needs them to keep busy while he finishes up. Now let's join the fight with Wrath and with uh with wrath and greed buccaneer comes to and realizes that the sword is in him and he realizes also if he removes it he will likely bleed out and die bradley uses the knife to pin down greed and he goes one-on-one -on -one with foo he takes foo's sword and lands a devastating blow on foo but before he can finish off link takes over greed's body 
and grabs food and brings him to safety. The Fuhrer insults Ling for being willing to risk his own life for people who don't matter. Ling refuses to be a monster similar to the Fuhrer. He doesn't want to give up on his people, but Fu tells Ling that if he wants to be king, he has to be willing to accept some loss. Fu realizes that he is injured badly. He's an old man. He probably doesn't have much time left. So he decides to do essentially a suicide attack to end this. And he hits Ling so that Ling will let him go. Tells Greed to harden Ling's body so that he's protected. And he takes off his jacket, revealing that he has dynamite strapped to him. He lights it. He jumps up. He grabs the Fuhrer. And his plan is to take the Fuhrer with him. But last minute, the Fuhrer cuts the fuse off all of the dynamite with his sword with a quick slice. But he also cuts open Fu with that slice. So Fu is now, you know, distraught over the fact that even trying to sacrifice his life, he wasn't able to lay a scratch on the Fuhrer. And it was all for nothing. All of a sudden, the Fuhrer reacts to an attack. He reacts to something. We see that he has been stabbed through with his own sword by Buccaneer. Buccaneer realizes that even though the Fuhrer has the ultimate eye, it can see everything. Apparently, there's a limitation to where he can't see an attack if he, he can't see the attack if it's hidden. So Buccaneer actually attacked by stabbing through Fu to stab uh, the Fuhrer. Buccaneer then says to Fu, hey, you might be dying, but you're not going alone. I'll keep you company on the ride down to hell. And so Fu thanks him. Buccaneer is kicked off as well as Fu by the Fuhrer. This enrages Ling, who goes to an attack. And the Fuhrer tries to defend, but Ling strikes so hard that he breaks the Fuhrer's sword and attacks his ultimate eye, presumably injuring it and rendering it useless. Lanfon sees the entire thing go down and yells grandfather when she realizes what had happened. We catch up with Al and his guys. They're having no luck. Uh, you know, first they get the car and the, the pothole, and now they've crashed it into a lamppost. So now they're just on but trying to find a way underground. They see smoke coming from Central Command, meaning the fight is still going, and they're hoping that everybody's doing well. Now, underground, we see our team members are still struggling to fight the men. I mean, there's a lot of them. There's definitely more than the four that they have, and they're all skilled fighters. We see Azumi and Armstrong. Azumi is talking to Olivia Armstrong about the Portal of Truth, explaining that how you have to give up something of yourself to gain something. Uh, she mentions that she gave up her organs to uh, just ultimately to learn that human transmutation was impossible. Alex mentions that the enemies have interest in those whom have opened the gate, calling them sacrifices. Azumi asks Olivier if she has ever had someone that she'd give anything to see one last time. Olivia says that as a soldier, she doesn't mourn the dead, but rather keeps fighting to keep more people from dying. Uh, however, she does understand what she described. She she reminisces back to when she met Edward and how Edward refused to tell Olivier anything about what he knew in regards to Sloth. He would not give them any information, even if his life was in danger, largely to protect Winry. Olivia realizes that he was no longer acting as a soldier or a dog as a military. He was acting as someone defending somebody that he cared about. She was a bit moved by it, but he found 
you know, found that to be a little naive. Back in the underground fight, the doctor finishes his circle and he begins to activate it. Well, first he calls like three diff or not three, I'm sorry. He calls five different men. Uh, interesting to point out, these men have numbers, not names. And they get around the circle. The doctor asks Ed how many labs are in the city. Ed real, you know, Ed thinks, okay, there's four. Wait, no, there's the fifth laboratory. And then he realizes that the way they're set up, it kind of makes a transmutation around the central city. And the doctor is working to effectively activate that transmutation circle. We see the city begin to shake and we see Heinkel and other animals such as horses and dogs. They just sense that something's going wrong and they are just going crazy. Azumi realizes that they need to get the hell out of there. So she uses her alchemy to create an escape tunnel. And the Armstrongs and the soldiers say, you know, they cannot leave. So they're just going to part ways and let the Curtises escape. Uh, at this point, the gate has been opened, and those five men that he called earlier have been sacrificed to open the gate. We then see the gate opening under Azumi, Ed, and Al as they are pulled through and vanish in front of their friends. And that is where that episode ends. So, uh, odd cliffhanger and a lot of action. So, I guess, as always, Jimmy, what were your thoughts? This is our Infinity War moment. Uh, I was shocked. And, man, you could see how these characters affected everyone around them. Not just, like, Ed and Al, but you really see how what little time Azumi had with the Armstrongs. How, I guess, kind of an impression she made on them. Uh, sorry again to talk about the end at the beginning, but I just love that scene where Azumi's getting taken away and Olivier's arm is like her hand is they're holding hands. I don't know. It feels like she's just trying to pull her out or hold on to her. And then she kind of just dissolves in her hand. And it's like, I, I love seeing Olivier's outer shell kind of, get softer we're seeing the softer side of her you know she's talking about the elric brothers you get to see like she's not just this hardened person but there is like this really heart behind her and she lets it peak every now and then but oh this ending it got me it was it, it's really great yeah because they're just kind of hanging not hanging out but they like all of a sudden, this eye opens up, the, the eye of the gate opens up beneath these people, and they just vanish. So it's like, what's happening? I, I can only imagine how confused everybody is around them. And it's it's not something like they can save them from. As you mentioned, you know, she's holding Azumi's hand as she's vanishing. Like, it's not like she can pull her out of that portal or whatnot. It's, she just has to deal with what's happening. And you see Mustang uh, call out Full Metal uh, as it's happening to Ed. And it's just... Him saying that, it's just... I don't know, it hits you. It get, hits you in the feels, man. Because he... It's this weird, like, respect thing. Calling him Full Metal. And it's like a, like a nickname in a sense. And... 
he's just disappearing in front of him. It's just, I'm sure there's a lot going through all our characters' minds because just right before it was happening, uh, was it Major Armstrong was was saying uh, how you know the people who have seen the truth are, are the sacrifices, and you're one of those people. And Mustang knows about this too, just to see like, hey, the people that we know are going to be sacrificed just disappeared in front of us. What does this mean? Like, is it happening right now? Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine like what is going through everyone's head. Like, this is happening. This is horrible. But what's next? Yeah, it's it, it can't be easy for them to have to accept that. Like, in a way, they might even think that they've lost because they just saw them vanish. So yeah, that that ending was just like the horrible cherry on top of this episode because. Last episode, I was so excited that we got Foo, old man Foo, and then this episode, we lost him. Yep. And that was, it's devastating. It was devastating, like a side character we don't know too much about, but he knew that he had to sacrifice himself to protect Ling. And Mm -hmm. that was just such a great moment. Yeah, it was... You know, he realized that it was over for him. Like, he, this was it. He was not surviving any of this. Uh, he's too badly injured. And, yeah, uh, he just realized, okay, well, if I'm going to die, I might as well do something with my life, do something positive and help them defeat the Fuhrer. While they were fighting the Fuhrer, you know, he's try- he's worried about protecting himself and defending and stuff. And now I guess he's just like, Hey, I could just go all out and kill this guy and see what happens. And uh, even then, you know, willing to give up his life, he was not able to stop him. And I, that's just, that's got to be devastating. I can't even imagine the feeling like you got this plan. You're like, I, I had to sacrifice, sacrifice myself for it. And he fails. And it's just, you're dying. You, you sacrificed yourself and you failed to protect kind of to in his mind to protect who he wanted to protect and that that's got to be tough hmm. I, yeah and then of course i guess his death was for lack of a better term useful in the sense that him falling or him dying the fear was focused on him and didn't see the sneak attack that Buccaneer was doing. And then Buccaneer was ultimately sacrificing his life because he acknowledged that the only thing keeping him from bleeding out was the sword being in his body. So we, yeah, we see that. And man, a Buccaneer was another character I thought was not going to go down. And we saw him go down. And these characters, knowing what's the greater good. And so, I mean, they're already on there just holding on and knowing like I can either just try to hold on to whatever life I have left or use whatever I have life I have left to help save or help keep fighting. And I just their choices. It's, uh, it's very inspirational. Yeah, that they just seeing Fu, both Fu and Buccaneer sacrifice themselves, getting just to get one hit on the Fuhrer and then seeing Ling just lose it and attack the Fuhrer 
And actually, like, I guess this is the first time he must have attacked him hard enough because this is the first, this is far from the first time that we've seen the Fuhrer attempt to block Ling or Greed's ultimate armor with the sword. But this time, instead of successfully blocking it, Ling, Greed, Greeling breaks the sword and strikes his eye. Yes, and it's exciting. And it's another thing where it's like, in this anime, no death has kind of just been thrown away. Every death we've seen has been used to to spar on, like to, to create this spark in other characters to fight harder and have something even more to fight for. We see it in um, Ling, Greedling. You know, Link pushed through and was like in pain. And then we see Fu's granddaughter see all this happen. And you gotta know that this is gonna ignite her fire even more. Like, not only is this the guy who ripped her arm off, but it's the guy who killed her grandfather. You know, it's gonna be intense. So I love how no death is just a death. Yep. In this anime. Yep, everybody's just so well connected or in, or so loves each other or whatnot, but yeah, anytime somebody dies, it, it it hits. It's definitely, to me, one of the top... Uh, it's weird saying it because it makes it sound like you like it, but like one of the most hard-hitting deaths of Full Metal Alchemist is the death of Fu. Oh. I mean, Fu's death is up there. You know, I'm always going to be a huge, huge fan, so, you know, his death hit me hard. But I love, like, these... Uh, it's weird, yeah, again, saying, like, I love these deaths, but these deaths are great and it's like these side characters that you could have just thrown away but they're leaving major impacts on what's happening right now in the story not what's happening right now i mean like they're leaving like ripple effects so what's going to happen absolutely absolutely they're leaving those effects and it's just yeah you know that this is the fear is not dead yet i mean as the episode ended he's wounded but he's not dead so it makes you wonder like how is that going to play into his end you know is that going to motivate Lanfon to finish him off is that going to motivate greed to finish him off yeah it, it all it all contributes yeah yeah and there's i would say there's very there's like very few characters i would say no characters other than bradley and salim you know wrath and pride that i wouldn't like if they died i'm like yeah that's good okay but I don't want to see any more characters die. Like Marco, I don't want to see go away. Even the the Chimera crew that we got going on, I don't like. I feel like if one of them went down, like Heinkel got injured a while ago, and I'm like, I can't lose these guys. They're part of my team. I I love all the side characters now. This is like, it just proves how great Full Metal Alchemist is that you care about this full cast of characters that they've assembled. Absolutely, like everybody, we are so invested in because of how, like, how much they've affected us. Because you actually grow to love to love them. They're not just like random side characters who don't matter. And another point of how great this anime is is like the guy with the gold tooth, a character that I would have never guessed to come back. 
or we would ever hear from this character again is now this major character who's kind of spurring on what's what's happening and we got to see all the failed or not failed but like the leftover uh from that experiment and what an interesting callback and it's so great that they were like we're not gonna throw away this character he's he's gonna come back in in a major way yeah, I mean, in a way, he's more important than the Fuhrer because he's the creator. Effectively, he is the creator of the Fuhrer. You know, he seems to be directly responding to whatever father tells him to do. Which, I mean, I, it's, it's, to me, it's really interesting that this is all happening uh, and that we're getting to see him. Because it also just reminds us that the Fuhrer is not the real leader. You know, Father's the real leader. In fact, the Fuhrer, like, you even start to realize, did the Fuhrer even have power over the other generals? Or did the generals answer directly to Father? So, yeah, just seeing these, just being remembered or reminded that there's this bigger problem going on. Or this bigger issue. Uh, big, You know, with... Um, this bigger picture, I guess you should say. And then now I'm curious about this guy's backstory because we don't know too much about it. You know, he did create um, Wrath, but what's his deal with Father? Like, how did Father get these people in? You know, is it just kind of he tells them his plan? or Because this guy is from way back. Mm -hmm. So... I, I'm interested in like how father recruited these because this guy is super loyal. You know, the generals are kind of just on this fringe. They trust father. They're, they're in it for, I don't know. They, he says world like peace, bring the, the nation of peace. But, you know, I, I figure it's like a power thing, but I wonder what this guy is in for. He seems crazy. So, I wonder what's up with him. Yeah, I I think he's loyal, and I think he probably thinks the same thing. Like, I think he, if I had to bet guess, I'd say he's on the same level of senior staff, and he is, he's probably got the same promises that Father gave him. Uh, you know, you'll be immortal, you'll become part of the country you'll, or you'll rule the world, whatever you want to call it. So like that's, if I had to take an educated guess, I think he's probably in line with father. He's probably been working with father longer than the generals. If I had to guess. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm excited that they brought a character back like that far. It, it was really cool. This episode very heart wrenching, you know. Food dying, Buccaneer dying. Uh, I don't know what's happened to Azumi, Ed, or Al. You know, I assume they've gotten sacrificed. I mean, we got more episodes, so maybe they're just trapped in the like in front of the door. But it's uh, it's exciting to see like all these pieces moving in. I want to know, like, now we're missing some of our powerhouses. How, how do mm -hmm. how do the rest of the team function? The Fuhrer is 
still like a threat. And yeah, we lose, and then we're also losing, uh, in a way, I guess, um, what's her name? We're losing Olivia because she mentions that she's rough for wear, even though, you know, she's going to want to keep fighting. She's not in the greatest position right now, just due to everything that's happened up to this point. And yeah, we're losing a lot of our, our so-called heavy hitters. And it will be interesting seeing, like, how does our uh, side characters deal with this? I mean, we still got Mustang. Um, I mean, Marco's still there. I, I'm never going to underestimate Marco. He's a very talented alchemist. So if need be, he can do something. But, you know, we got Major Armstrong. But kind of we got this mixed mosh of uh, side characters we're still fighting Wrath, but I, I really, I'm fascinated to see. I'm, I'm sure we're not going to get an episode without the brothers, but I'm excited to see kind of what an, the other team does without them. Yeah, it would be weird to figure out what it is that they pull off or what they try to pull off to make everything work out in their favor. Um, even the brothers are missing, and so is Azumi. My guess is they're being brought to father because father has, you know, grave interest in them. And of course now Mustang and Reza are left with the soldiers or the the, the, the potential Fuhrers and well, I guess Marco and his team are just left in the street. And yeah, it's the team's being split up. So it's like, what's next? What's going to happen next? And it feels like before it's kind of, we feel like we're assembling team. Now I feel like we're in the home stretch. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said in the beginning of this episode, we only got like a handful of podcasts left, which means there's only a handful of episodes left. And it just, it feels like we're on, we're at the home stretch and I get, I can see the fin- the home plate. I'm sorry. I'm really bad at sports analogies, but I could see it. And I just don't know what's happening over there. Like, you know where the end is, but you don't know what's happening at it yep yeah and we know it's only going to get worse because now father's getting you know they they needed them these are all the people who opened the gate they pulled them in so they are getting ready to be sacrificed whatever that means and so father's plans about to come to fruition so yeah they're against they're against the timeline now yeah so it's i'm very hyped up i want to keep watching but you know, I got to pace myself. I like to watch the episodes around, you know, the podcast time. So they're fresh on my mind. So it's really tough for me to, to stop myself. But if you're a listener, you know, go ahead and keep watching and, you know, catch up with us uh, week by week. Yep, absolutely. I won't even get mad if you watch ahead a little bit. Uh, but, you know, you'll have to wait for us to catch up and talk about it. But yeah, I think that's all I've got. What about you, Jimmy? Yeah, that's everything I have to you. Cool. Well, if you guys ever want to talk to us again, or hopefully you do want to talk to us, we're looking forward to it. And we will see you on the next episode. Until then, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy. Bye. Bye.